fear of generational inequalities. The most often overlooked topic in any political debate is how young people feel and the challenges they face. That is something they have in common with the elderly, who are also often marginalised in political debate, though they are currently better catered for, as they represent the majority of voters in Europe. This dichotomy can lead to generational inequalities and conflicts. A generation is an arbitrary social construct. Strictly speaking, a generation is 20 years. But since society is going through change more rapidly, and children are born at later stages in parents' lives, the whole concept has become somewhat outdated. Nevertheless, it is important to look at generational inequalities. What makes a generation unique are the times in which they grew up. Our environment defines us, and to a great extent, determines who we grow up to be. As such, generations will always be different from one another and experience the world and its issues differently based on that experience. In this, we can also find great inequalities. There is a reason why Gertrude Stein coined the term the lost generation for the people growing up in the 1920s after World War I. It was a generation without hope or direction. Baby boomers, 1946 to 1964, on the other hand, grew up in a time of growing affluence and are generally associated with having experienced a privileged youth. I am a member of Generation Y, born between 1977 and 1994, which at the time of writing is between 24 and 42 years old, making most of us young adults and beginning to reach middle age. Our generation, at least in Western Europe, has faced some of the harshest generational inequalities. Our main fault was being born in between Generation X and Generation Z. While Generation X had it relatively easy on the job market, our generation faced incredible hardships during the global economic crisis when I entered the labour market. And while the economy has recovered, Generation Z has now entered the market. This puts a large percentage of us into the precarious position of having gone through a multitude of internships, often unpaid, and volunteering positions, being too old to compete with Generation Z for entry-level jobs, but too young and inexperienced for high-level jobs. The worst part is that we are aware of what is happening to us. We have gotten used to being criticised and at times ridiculed in the media, and often enough label ourselves as generation Y. This is an expression of our own perceived powerlessness, of which we have ample proof. See, for just one example, the Austrian referendum on conscription. One of the effects of this has been the simultaneous distrust in established norms and systems, along with a strong passion for societal activism. That is what makes generation Y truly special. Even though we were told we wouldn't amount to anything or be able to change the world, we never gave up. Some of us rather went ahead and made a career out of it. Never in our history have there been more NGOs run by young people, more petitions, strikes, marches, acts of civil disobedience and professional advocacy campaigns. Millennials reinvented what civil society means. This has rubbed off on Generation Z, 
who have watched us struggle again and again and have decided to learn from our humble attempts to take on the world at large. Whether it is the national school walkout for gun control in the US or the Fridays for Future movement in Europe, Generation Z has had enough. While we started our activism days at university, they are launching their revolution out of their high school classrooms. Who knows what Generation Alpha is going to do when they grow up? The oldest of this group are only seven years old, but at this rate, they might launch their first initiatives before the rest of their generation is even born. In the meantime, we millennials are happy to join in Generation Z's work because together we are finally starting to retake the demographic majority, which has thus far marginalised us and our issues. Climate change, for instance, is one of the big global threats that we face today and is responsible for great inequality because it hits different areas in different ways, resulting in poverty and destruction in ways that people cannot defend themselves against. Apart from global catastrophes like climate change, which is discussed in depth in the next chapter, young people are particularly afraid of a collapse of the economy and the social system attached to it. We are the first generation that had to worry about whether or not we would one day be able to receive a pension while we were still in high school. In 2012, I joined the then newly founded Liberal Party, NEOS. One of the core topics that saw us elected to Parliament in 2013 was our call for the restructuring of Austria's pension system. Because it is not working. We have been using taxpayer money to finance a system that would have otherwise broken down ages ago. Tax contributions get higher and higher each year, and the state keeps taking out new loans to keep it going. It is unsustainable, and the aforementioned referendum on conscription, which was won because of the argument that the social system is unsustainable, started many discussions about the flawed and unsustainable nature of our social system at a time when kids born in the mid-1980s and 90s were leaving high school or attending university. To give you an overview of just how bad things have become, let us have a look at the Austrian budget over the last 40 years. In 1980, social expenses were around 19 billion euros. Of those, around 11 billion euros were dedicated to pensions and elderly care. In 2000, those numbers had risen to 57 billion euros and 37 billion euros, respectively. In 2018, Austria spent 109 billion euros on social expenses. Of this, 77 billion euros went to pensions and elderly care. In the time it took our generation to grow up, Austrian social expenses increased by a factor of 10. Of course, we have to account for inflation, but even so, the rate at which we have needed to increase spending in order to sustain our social systems is alarming. That is why NEOS has put forward several proposals for pension reform over the years. The most basic reform proposal must start with a change in how we calculate pensions. Pensions are supposed to allow the elderly to ease into retirement and old age without running into financial problems. One way to avoid this is to adopt a flexible pension system that does not penalise old people for working. Today, 
old people have access to a breadth of technology and other outlets to start small businesses or occasional jobs that will not only increase how much money they have, but how happy they are, because they can stay connected to the world they live in. Too often, we assume that pensioners just want to be left alone, but old people tend to be lonely, and thus it is in their interest to keep working in some capacity to avoid the social isolation they often experience. Another solution is to allow old people, who now live longer and healthier lives, to continue working for a longer time by raising the minimum age for pensions. In addition, we have capped regular employee pensions at certain amounts, but there are numerous special classes of pensions that don't have a limit. Some politicians and public servants, for instance, have pensions as large as €25,000 per month. At the same time, some people, particularly women, don't even qualify for minimum pensions because, for example, they stayed at home to take care of the children. This is also a valuable community service, and it should not exclude them from getting a pension. That is why we propose eliminating high pensions and allowing everyone access to a minimum pension. In fact, the easiest way would be to eliminate the pension system entirely and replace it with the NEOS citizen's income, negative income tax, I described earlier. After all, young people also care about the elderly. What happens when our parents retire, as some already have, and we need to take care of them? How are we supposed to do that if we can't even take care of ourselves? Most millennials have only just begun to accumulate pension contributions, and we fully understand that all pension systems in Europe are unsustainable and will likely collapse sooner rather than later. That is why sustainability in our economy and our social systems is one of the top priorities for this generation. Millennials don't believe in a system of endless growth, but that doesn't mean we reject a market economy. There is good news for Generation Y. We are on average the best educated generation, with the most freedoms, rights and choices ever available to humans. Only Generation Z can compete with us in those terms, but it has its own troubles. The disparity is not as large as we like to think, and their adoption of technology at an early stage of life can actually be a hindrance. Many important life skills are lost on Generation Z, including reading and writing abilities and an understanding of the underlying mechanics of the technologies they use on a daily basis. But things are looking up in other areas. We are getting more analytical, critical, creative and innovative. And we don't wait around for change anymore. We take the initiative. Despite derogatory comments from parents and older colleagues, we are genuinely becoming more connected and social. Young people need more self-determination. We don't need to be led or smothered. Our ability to access unlimited knowledge in the form of new technology allows us to grow up faster and make responsible decisions about the future. This is something that also emerged from the biggest ever study of both our generations, called Generation What. Young people in Eastern Europe believe they will be better off than their parents, as they won't live in communist times. But most young people in the rest of Europe believe they will be worse off. 
both groups also feel that their own hypothetical children will be better or worse off, respectively. Despite this, the great majority are cautiously optimistic about the future and confident they have more chances than other people of the same age they know. Two excerpts from Generation What help to explain this. Confidence in other generations is also the basis for optimism. If this is lacking, there is a clear tendency towards pessimism. There are many different reasons for this. Young people with a negative outlook, especially in Switzerland, Spain, the Netherlands and Belgium, feel that previous generations have a great deal of responsibility for the problems of today. The results show that they are especially critical of social injustice. This has a greater influence on a pessimistic outlook among young people in France than in other countries. Trust, fairness and support strengthen the confidence of the younger generation and therefore also of the future of Europe. The fundamental optimism of young people can be boosted and consolidated. To do this, it is essential to take younger people seriously and offer them prospects. We need easier access to entrepreneurship. An increasing number of millennials are becoming entrepreneurs, generally because they long for an independent life rather than simply to make a living. However, being an entrepreneur is not easy. The main obstacles to entrepreneurship are bureaucracy, lack of visibility and or local funding, and the immense risks we take on when we decide to go for it. On top of that, Entrepreneurship sounds like something complicated and so difficult that it is unattainable. But that is far from the truth. Anybody can be an entrepreneur. It can be the local pub owner or the woman who runs the small bakery down the street where you get your fresh bread every week. It can be the retired man selling his stamp collection online. A business is a business, and it doesn't matter if it is big or small, local or international, for-profit or non-profit. The biggest risk factor is the cost entrepreneurs have to cover from the day they register a company. In some instances, they even have to pay several thousand, 27,000 euros in Croatia, 35,000 euros in Austria, 50,000 euros in Italy, to register it. If they are lucky, they can do this for free. In all cases, they are suddenly scrutinised heavily by financial institutions who burden them with legal forms and preemptive taxes on money they have not yet earned. This is not just the case for young entrepreneurs starting for-profit companies. It applies to self-employed people like artists and individual service providers too. The Generation What survey confirms that this is a big issue for young people. The results of the survey make a direct connection between a person's financial situation and their optimism. It's simply easier to develop ideas and plans when you're in a secure financial situation. However, the results also highlight the danger that young people consider their opportunities to be bad because of a lack of resources. Let us briefly address some of these issues and examine what we can do to secure a brighter future for everyone. The number of self-employed people is on the rise everywhere. In the UK, the number of self-employed workers has risen by 45% since 2001. Yet it seems nobody cares to represent them. Neither industrial nor worker unions care about them, 
and most state services remain closed to them. This has led to the emergence of worker tech, a private technology that helps self-employed people to gain the same benefits privately, one app at a time. Not only does this make self-employed workers significantly disadvantaged and unequal, but with the rise in numbers, it may very well turn the tides in their favour eventually. By then, though, it may be too late for public systems to catch up, as the forgotten self-employed will have given up on those institutions in favour of worker tech, and may also refuse to pay into them if the private sector offers them better solutions. As such, liberals are fighting for more recognition and support for self-employed workers and entrepreneurs. Not only is this important for the economy, it is all the more important for young people who want to live a self-determined life. This also requires a free and open society. For the lack of a better alternative, this means a democracy and a free market economy. Whenever I talk to people in green movements, they tell me we are running out of resources and we need to stop growing. We have separate chapters that will deal with that claim and with climate change, but I want to quickly address how we would restore trust in institutions and deal with the other concerns of young people. Right now, we must continue growing under the current system, simply because everyone has debts and interest on those debts that we can't pay back. That is one of the reasons why liberals have long called for smarter accounting in public offices. The same political actors who are now calling for degrowth are the ones who have created massive amounts of public debt on the shoulders of taxpayers to finance their lavish pet projects. The Keynesian idea of borrowing and investing in infrastructure during a recession to stimulate growth is not inherently bad, but it must be followed through. If you borrow money, you must pay it back when the economy has recovered. In reality, governments change quickly, and no one likes to make unpopular decisions, like raising taxes, when they can just continue to borrow money unchecked. In other words, Liberals propose slimming down state expenditure, which is not to say that we want to destroy our social safety nets, as we are often accused of by the same people who first borrowed endlessly and are now calling for degrowth. No, we want to stop the excessive spending habits of states by streamlining overly bureaucratic processes, stopping unnecessary expenditures and removing duplications of systems wherever possible. For example, in Austria, we have 21 different public health insurance companies, which should be put together to save taxpayer money and make things easier for citizens. The freed-up resources should be used to clear our national debts, as suggested by the World Inequality Report earlier on. Interest rates may be low now, but they won't stay that way forever, and we cannot keep burdening citizens with new loans and more taxes. Balancing the economy will not happen overnight, and it will require us to finally stop borrowing money. But it will make our economy more sustainable and allow us to cease our reliance on growth cycles. Any other approach would be catastrophic for our citizens. Calls for systemic change often mean nothing more than the total collapse of the current system, which would cause chaos, mass poverty, and, as such, inequalities. Instead of destroying what we have already built, 
we propose building a brighter future by taking what we already have and making it more efficient and sustainable. This includes reforming education systems across Europe to create more equity among people, not only to better prepare the next generations for their entry into the market and entrepreneurship, but also to introduce lifelong learning so that people can learn and adapt no matter how old they grow or what challenges life throws at them. Finally, if we want to unburden our healthcare systems, we will need more workers paying into them. And those workers will not magically appear out of nowhere. They will have to come to our countries. So, let us talk about migration.